podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. On the Front Burner puts two no-nonsense culinary professionals on air discussing tough industry topics, interviewing fascinating food personalities, and providing penetrating looks at the industry that we love. We don't always agree and often provide compelling personal insights from a unique combination of life experiences. You know, it's a lively give and take. It's by no means conventional. Elaine owns Sweet Cheeks Baking Company and is a winner of the Food Network's Cupcake Wars and Fabulous Cakes. A seasoned industry professional, she is a cake designer and a certified sommelier. Don is a chef, an award-winning journalist, and a culinary educator. Together we take a not-always-pretty, sometimes-funny, and always-entertaining look at the world of food and beverage. Thanks for being here today. I'm Don Williamson. Hi, I'm Elaine Artizzoni. And we're glad to have you here on the front burner. And today we're going to look at something that a lot of folks aren't thinking about, a shortage of cooks. Across the United States, there are not enough cooks in kitchens. What does that mean? Why is it happening? What can be done about it? And some really unique solutions that we're looking at that are happening everywhere, including right here in San Diego. I want to put some numbers on that so that you get a sense of what it means when I say there's a shortage. In terms of cooks and schools and hospitals and cafeterias, that's expected to grow by 6% between 2016 and 2026. In restaurants, however, it's expected to grow by 12%. That means the U.S. restaurant industry will need more than 1,300,000 cooks in 2026 compared to the 1,200,000 that exists now. That's a pretty big jump. That's a pretty big jump. But you know what? We were just talking last time about how um, we have all these restaurants popping up all over the place just here in San Diego, and it's definitely happening elsewhere. And people are just eating out a whole lot. And the more people are eating out, the more meals we need to serve and the more cooks we need to make them. Well, that's true. And I think that that's an important point you bring up, Elaine. And because why should anybody care if restaurants <laughs> well, don't have enough cooks. I want someone to cook my dinner if well, I want right. to go out, obviously, unless you're doing these, you know, cook your owns. But those don't seem to be in, in trend right now. Yeah. But part of what, part of what the issue is, is pe- more people are eating out for a reason. It used to be that going to a restaurant or eating out was a luxury. You'd go on a birthday or an anniversary right, right, or right. a holiday. Special event. Special things. Yeah. Now, however, daily. we have people eat daily. <laughs> yeah. I had students in my class, other than the meal they cooked in class and yeah. ate, they ate out Every single meal. So breakfast and dinner you were finding or whatever. That's right. And there are more and more people doing that because of time, because of work, because they don't know how to cook, because somehow it seems cheaper to them. But for whatever reason, we've become the go-to place for people to eat. And that means we have to worry more about nutrition and calories and fats and all those other things that we'll talk about in another show. But it also means that we have to have 
people in the kitchen to cook and what's happening all over this country in New York, in D.C., in Chicago, in Cincinnati, in L.A., and in San Diego, there's a shortage of cooks. It's just the craziest thing, isn't it? It is. It's not something to really think about. I mean, I, I feel like on a regular basis, I do get um, I do get a lot of applications for people looking to work with us uh, at the bakery. And they might want to be decorators or bakers or whatever, but... I have not really heard of anyone talking about this, but when you start doing a little research about it, it's crazy. It is. And what does that mean to your food if you don't have the people to cook it? Right. One of the things that chef across, chefs across the country are saying is they're having to, having to simplify menus. They're having mm, to do bummer. less. They're having to not be able to be as creative They're because they don't have the people and on right. top of that, they don't have the people that have the skills. They need to keep it simple. They have to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference. So I think that that's been an, a growing issue everywhere. And what people are trying to do to to make that happen is go to different places. Because you're not getting the cooks out of culinary school anymore. Right. Um, well, you kind of also, you know, you just touched on that as well. When... With more people eating out and the places that are popping up, and we talked about this in one of our other shows, is more of the places popping up are casual fine dining or casual restaurants. And I know even we saw this happening in the past two decades of the super fine fine dining places, the um, famous chefs were realizing they really needed to open maybe the bistro version of what they were doing. So people were less inclined to go out and plunk down 200 bucks a person, which is a lot of money to go eat a meal. Or more than that. So instead, they're opening the bistro or the casual uh, family version of what they do. And obviously, with that, you've got to eliminate some of the finer ingredients. But you can also then kind of lower down your um, your requirements for what a chef or a cook is trained to do. So that you can have them just making a, a simple grilled chicken on a salad or, you know, whatever. Something that's just a little bit easier to go by. So not only are you having them do less, but that way you could hire fewer people and maybe you can pay them a little more money. Mm -hmm. So that becomes another option for chefs. Dumb down my menu, have fewer people, be able to pay folks more. And I think when we talk about pay, everything we're going to talk about is going to come back to money somehow. (laughs) It doesn't always. It is. And I think that part of the issue here is people are leaving because you don't make any money in the back of the house. Right. There's no easy way to say that. And that's become an issue in a lot of places because servers, people in the front of the house, wait staff – for example, in New York City, can easily make $100,000 a year. Right. And even in a fine dining establishment in New York City, it's hard for a cook to make more than $35,000. And that's You can't live a, there on that. You can't. You can't live in San Diego on that either. And that's become a major issue. And some of the chefs that I've talked to and some of the people that I've talked to are concerned that the laws here in California – don't allow you to have any equity there. I know that's a bone of yours. Tell me about it. Yeah, we've talked about this with the labor laws, you know, get so nuts. And um, we've got, um, let's see, what did that, what did they change it to? You used to be that a restaurant could sort of dictate how tips were distributed. So 
The servers would bring in all the money and then the manager or the owner could say, okay, so basically 35% of your tips would again get doled out. You'd be paying some out to maybe the dish station, the bussers, maybe you have a back waiter, maybe it's some of the cooks, uh, the bar, whatever the case might be. That used to be something that you could dictate as a manager or owner. And that was taken away. You can no longer tell people what they can do with their money. So then the other possibility is some of the restaurants who have decided to eliminate tipping altogether. And that's another option is to figure out a way where the customer comes in and they maybe have to pay a little bit more for their food, but they don't have to leave a tip at the end. So it does probably balance out to be about the same, possibly even save money for the diner, but that's going to require a whole new level of education of the public, really. Well, in the optics change, I know several restaurants here in San Diego have tried that. A couple of them have gone out of business. Um, I think that what happens is we've gotten very comfortable in this country not paying our freight when it comes to food. And many of us are unwilling to pay what it costs. So that's why we we want cheap food and then we'll leave a tip. But that tip leaves the cooks out. So – I think that it sounds good, but I think there's going to have, have something happen on a lot of levels. I think that we as people in the industry have to begin to lobby the state of California. I remember when faux gras was outlaw, uh, outlawed. Mm-hmm. Chefs went nuts here, and we you know, went to battle in Sacramento until it was put back on the menu. Well, we should be just as angry and just as much of of an activist about making sure that we get some equity in the kitchen because the whole line now is they're saying that servers don't have to share with the back of the house because the back of the house is not involved in customer service. Well, they're cooking the food. Right, and they're... They have so much control over what that food ends up being. They might add a little personal touch or certainly they've got to make it perfect. And the server, I mean, I don't know. It's such a fine line. The server is the incentivized salesperson, let's be honest. But, you know, in the past when the servers were, they were getting paid a totally different wage. And so the tip was their income. I remember in Colorado, we were paying our servers, I think it was $2.14 an hour or something crazy. And, you know, now they're making about the same amount as your basic person in the kitchen, only they're also making a huge amount above that in their what you would call incentive sale or their tip, whereas the person in the kitchen is only making that basic amount. So even more so now, it seems like the servers should be tipping out and sharing the wealth. And I think doesn't need to go to the house. It doesn't need to go to the restaurant. We've seen that that's not necessarily worked where the restaurant says, oh, we're going to collect all the tips and distribute. And we have a couple of very famous nationally known chefs who have gotten in some pretty hot water for not exactly doling out the tips the way they were supposed to. But so that isn't necessarily working, but it really is important to to share the wealth. And that way, everyone feels like they are appreciated and they are um, involved in the sale. I agree. And I know that some restaurants, even here in San Diego, have a voluntary basis for that, where the wait staff will share with the back of the house. That's usually in smaller operations, however, and it's nothing that can be mandated. 
But I go back on saying that we as people in the industry need to let Sacramento know that this is not a viable way. It's not fair. It's not equitable. And it's hurting the industry. And let's face it, the restaurant industry is a major factor in a hospitality state like California. We need to make that equitable and make that work out. I have to just say one real quick thing um, based on what you said before. I think that the average population doesn't recognize the value of what it takes to put together a great meal. And I think part of it, and it's because it isn't just the meal, it's the place, it's the cleaning of the place, it's the service you're getting, it's the actual food, it's that it was cooked properly. And if it wasn't, you can send it back. If you cooked it at home improperly, yeah, that's not going to happen. You screwed it up. Um, and, and I think people just don't recognize all of the costs that are involved with it. And we talked to Chef David Chanel last time we spoke about this. But I think that if they would just go out to, you know, they can run over to Costco or they can run over to the grocery store and they can pick up a pre-cooked meal. And in their mind, it doesn't cost a whole lot. But if you have a properly cooked meal and it's fresh and put on your plate and served on nice china in a restaurant with the whole experience – it, of course, it's going to cost more than having to drive to the grocery store and come back and reheat it and all that. It's and we've funny. just been spoiled in this country. We've gotten used to not paying as much for food. And some of that's because we had migrant labor in the fields that kept the prices down, because we had people working in kitchens that kept the prices down, right. and because we were expected to tip rather than pay the cost of food. It's because... It, it's going to be a tough, tough nut to crack, but people in this country are going to have to start paying the amount that their food costs and what it costs for service. We don't do that when it comes to buying a car. We don't do that when it comes to buying a sofa. Right. And something that we're doing two and maybe three times a day eating food, we need to get into that. But the issue that we're talking about today and need to get back on is too few cooks in the kitchen, mm-hmm. too few people choosing that as a career and what do we do and what and what can be done about that i think one of the things that i've really noticed around the country in cincinnati and cleveland and new york and chicago and washington dc even in la they are reaching out to underserved neighborhoods to people who had troubled backgrounds to people who are former drug addicts, to people who've been in prison, to people who've had difficult lifestyles, and they're bringing them in, they're training them, and they're making them leaders in the kitchen. uh, You were talking about a a group called uh, Freestone Food Bank, I think it was. Is that the Cincinnati Cooks? That's right. That you were talking about? Um, You told me about that before the program. It, It sounds like a really neat really neat program that they have and war veterans and all sorts of people involved. Because there's a whole underserved community out there that need jobs and they're the people that can't afford to go to culinary schools and pay forty, fifty thousand dollars I think it's more than that now. Yeah. They're the people that are really on the edge and want to do better and want to do more. And I think it's uh Good that some restaurants around the country are beginning to try to pay off student loans for cooking school and and trying to do a lot of things to bring bring people in. They're offering continuing education and wine classes for their uh, client for the 
for their staff. But I think that the real thing that has to happen is we've got a whole body of folks that want to work, would love to be in the kitchen, and for one reason or another, we haven't been willing to hire them. There was that stigma of having been in prison or having been a drug addict or whatever it might be. And and, and in our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But one, one chef had a line for me, and he said, everybody's got a past. Everybody's got it. No, that's true. Everyone's got mm-hmm. a past. But to be fair, I think that there are uh, there are justified reasons for being a little bit nervous about that. You know, say someone's been in prison and you, you know, obviously you have to be careful of why they were in prison, but you're walking them into a situation where they're surrounded by knives. They're surrounded by potential for hurting somebody. Maybe they snap. And I think that's the fear is what if someone were to snap while they're on shift in your place or um, same thing with an addict. You know, the restaurant industry is notorious for having um, drug issues in the past and probably still currently. I, I'm not in it currently myself, but, um, you know, you're surrounded by people that are staying up really late and they're partying and then they got to stay awake really long time. And well, so that's a, that well, is just well, the concern. I well, think. I don't know. I think that it sounds like what you're saying is that people in the industry are that way and the ones that get caught we ought to be careful of and the ones that are that are lucky enough or smart enough not to get caught, well that's okay. I think that what uh, No, we, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it exists. And right. if you have experience in seeing it existing, your your experience is gonna say just be careful. And right. if you have I, to I, choose, I, mm-hmm. you know, you might choose the person who doesn't have that past that you know of. You're right. I, I think right. that's true, but I think that you're right. It's an industry where there's a lot of drinking and and, and a lot of drugs and, and, and a lot of partying. And some people carry that too far. Some people wind up behind bars for one reason or another. But that doesn't make them any better or worse than the people that didn't get caught. True. So I True. think that what needs that. to happen in a real sense is maybe someone that's gotten caught, maybe someone that's been incarcerated, maybe someone who has gone through some counseling and had to pay some dues for their behavior may have more of a willingness, more right. of a, a, a of a determination to turn things around. Maybe they actually learned. <laughs> Maybe they actually did. There is uh, that there are programs all over the country that are dealing with this, and we've got one right here in San Diego called Kitchens for Good. And next show, we're going to take a look at those. We're going to look at uh, a manager uh, that um, – an owner of a of a restaurant who has taken a chance hiring these kind of folks and the kind of successes and failures that he's had. We're going to talk to um, uh, his sous chef, who is someone who was in that situation of being incarcerated. Oh, I want to hear that one. Right. And see how her life functions and what it means to her now yeah. to be in the kitchen. And we're going to talk to somebody from Kitchens from Good to get a sense of what it is they're trying to do and how it is they're trying to make things happen. I want to say real quickly that they've got here a 12-week program where a um, student is taught for 10 weeks and then for two weeks they go on an internship and hopefully find a job after that. That's 12 cool. weeks is, isn't a long time. No. So what we've done at Chef de Cuisine is we've just decided that every graduate 
of Kitchens for Good, we are going to give them a free one-year membership to our SHEP organization. That's great. So that we can be able to provide some mentorship, maybe steer them in the right direction. Oh, to give them some great contacts, if nothing else. Answer some questions, give them some contacts, maybe help them find a job and move on. Because there's a shortage of chefs, and that's something that we've really got to deal with if we're going to move forward as an industry. But I think another thing that um, we haven't talked about that I think is just as important is we got to treat those cooks differently as well as pay them more. You know, we come from an industry where you're supposed to come in, be quiet, say yes, chef, get yelled at, get things thrown <laughs> at you. Oh, God, the stories we could all tell. I, You know, I had a business partner years ago who actually – threw a Heineken bottle across the kitchen at one of our cooks, and I saw it, and we shortly thereafter got him out of the partnership. But I tell you, there it's crazy what the um, what people used to put up with and what was kind of expected, and I think we actually allowed it to happen and become a stigma of the industry. I don't know if this is part of way, maybe why people don't want the job or haven't wanted the job or not enough of them wanting the job. But tell you, with the Me Too movement, as much as – um, it has helped other industries. You know, you look at some of the well-known chefs like Mario Batali is probably the biggest name that I know in um, currently in the news for mistreating possibly some of the staff. But uh, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. You used to see that all the time. People want to be respected, and it should be. You know, I was I was tormented in a kitchen when I was a cook. Yeah, it's it, it's been an issue, and I have to admit that um, I was loud in the kitchen. You and were? I was. You seem and, so calm. <laughs> and, but you, you learn more as you go along. But I think that if we're talking about people not making enough money to live on. And they're and, getting treated like garbage. Yeah, and being disrespected <laughs> where you work at. Well, why should I want to work there? Of course I not. I mean, you may love food and cooking, but not that much. No. So I think that we've got to begin to look at other things like, you know, we have to create a better hiring program. We have to create a training system. we got to create a pay grade. Um, I think making it a flexible work environment, if that's an option to you, or making people want to come to work. I think that has, at least for for me, that has actually been a huge bonus is making people feel like they're they're cared about, and I think that's worth a lot to a lot of people. And I think that's all part of creating a positive environment, right? You know, some people want to come to work, so people feel good about it, and and a lot of restaurants are doing things about that. They're offering extra training for their. Um, for the people that work for them. I think I mentioned earlier they're paying off culinary scholarships. Yeah, taking them on trips and stuff if they can. Because it's just not what it was. And I think that the old model, which was basically the French model, was that you came and you worked for free in a kitchen. Oh, yeah, the stage. And you were subservient. And you were there for a couple of years before you made a dime just to learn. And I think it's kind of morphed into this mentality that, unfortunately, a great many chefs and restaurants have. But I think this cook shortage is changing that. Because it used to be if I say I'm unhappy, you say, well, leave. Yeah. And then if I wanted to come back, you'd say, no, now if I leave, we're looking for you to come back because right. we can't find someone qualified to cook. For sure. 
So I think that's all another part of that because it is a new day in a lot of ways. And I think that all of that is going to make a difference in terms of what happens in the kitchen and how we pay pay people. And I think we're going to go back to what we're going to talk about next time about how we bring in people that we have excluded from our kitchens or people that we've looked at with a jaundice eye. I want to thank you for being with us this, this week. I'm Don Williamson. I'm Elaine Artizzoni. And we'll see you, well, at least we'll talk to you <laughs> next time on The Front Burner. Thanks for being here. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.